Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. All right. Hello again, friends and family. Welcome back to Where I Stand, where this is your host, Ray Tucker. And Jay Jones. And we explain or explore, is probably a better word to use, we explore cultural issues from a Christian framework and a black perspective. Yes. And we see and talk about where we stand. We're back to that. <laughs> All right. You know, it's good to laugh every now and then, even though today it's it's it's, a, it's another serious topic. Yeah. And um, we just, we're continuing on in our On Sex series. And um, last week or last episode, we talked about uh, rape culture and how pervasive and disgusting it is in our nation. All right. Today, we're going to continue our conversation on sexual immorality, but we want to caution our viewers and listeners that this is an adult topic and not suitable for small children. We take a strong stance against violence, either physical or verbal, towards anyone struggling with sexual immorality, and there is no biblical mandate that encourages violence towards anybody. Mm -hmm. We definitely want to make that clear, right? And we're going to talk about rape survivors in this episode. So we're going to talk about restoration, eight little known facts about rape survivors, and we're going to talk about resources. So restoration. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. You want to take this one? Yeah, I got it. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Mm-hmm. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Amen. In the beginning, I stumbled because I had a different version in my head. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, NLT. <laughs> it's not ESV. Oh wow! <laughs> but here's the thing, though: you can't restore something if you don't know what is broken. Right. We want to dive into some of the nuances and dispel some myths surrounding rape culture, rape survivors, so that as a church, we might be more equipped to restore individuals to wholeness. Yes. Again, to go back to Ephesians 4, what we read in the last episode, that we believe we are teachers, and as such, we are to equip God's people to be able to rightly discern the spirit of truth. Right, right, right. Deserve the word, discern the word of truth. That is, right. One of the, one of the things that um, is necessary, but sometimes we need to go a step further. Is it is good to put sin in its proper category? Yes. So, for example, we may say, "Oh, that person is a racist." Ultimately, people say, "Well, that's not a that's not a biblical uh, a biblical." Um, concept that that's not what it is but it is a reality but the point i'm getting at is it would fit under partiality right yep so in the same way going the opposite direction yes rape is sexual immorality and we do learn about that in church but how many sermons have you heard where they specifically talked about the sin of rape Mm. not many right this is not something that we uh normally hear about and 
and again, uh, me and you were talking about yesterday how um, we need more um, uh, specified sin targeting whenever it comes to um, sermons or just anything in general, just being more uh, targeting that thing. Yes. Talking about it, you know. And not just elevating one over the other. Everything's always broad stroke. You we, know? we it, it, Church culture has a bad habit of talking about homosexuality and and then in um and drunkenness as if they're the only two sins. Right. Absolutely. And so then it it when an individual, again what we're talking about here, has been raped and they're coming in and they're looking for um someone to have compassion on them and consider them and yeah, they may get it from the brothers and sisters within the congregation, but I never hear someone talk behind the pulpit about what I have going on. Mm -hmm. it, so, so this is what we're going to do. This is why we're here doing this show, because we're here to do that. We're not going to just lob accusations at well-meaning individuals right. who don't know no better, right. right? But we're here to fill in a gap. Right. So yeah. what we will say is that there is a very complex legal landscape that survivors have to navigate largely on their own mm -hmm. right so we're gonna get into some of these that's what some of these facts are talking about the legal landscape again if you don't know is what's broken you can't restore it you right. can't fix it so that's kind of the point of this episode is showing you how broken this system is showing you how broken and and how how tough it is to navigate this landscape right so Eight little known facts of rape survivors, and I might throw in some extras as we go. So, but this is really just eight main points, and there's so many more, really. Be honest, it's not just eight, no. right? It's not just these eight, but as we go through, I might get inspired to share a little bit more. So, we'll, we'll do that. Fact number one, and I mentioned this in the last episode on um, rape culture every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And that comes from rain.org. And here's the thing, you know, at least at least I didn't go into it, I probably should, but it didn't parse out whether it's a boy or a girl or male or female. It just said that every 68 seconds an American is sexually assaulted. All right. Fact number two, 98% of rapists will never spend a day in jail. Again, I mentioned this in the last episode that bar for criminal adjudication is so high that 98% of rapists never spend a day in jail. Mm. All right. And some of that is also because they're settling out of court, mm. you know, that they're seeking non-criminal punishment and stuff like that. And that's the Western is another reason why you'll never see, see, uh, never spend a day in jail. But, um, but by and large, you're not being held accountable. All right. So I just want to put that fact out there. Again, this is coming from rain.org if you're listening on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Now, facts three through eight are pulled from the Georgetown Journal of Gender and Law, volume 21, um, 367, Rape and Sexual Assault. And again, this this uh and again, this um link will be provided in the description as well if you're listening on a podcast. But what's fact number three, Jay? Many survivors choose not to undergo an exam. That's crazy, right? And you think you want, and there's a myriad of reasons why. Right. But a 2018 study 
2018 study found that 64% of patients in sexual assault cases who were eligible for an exam completed one. Mm -hmm. So out of 100 people, out of 100% of people who's eligible for an exam, only 64% of people completed one. Mm -hmm. All right. And so, so you have to keep in mind that there's a dozens of other people who were not eligible to complete an exam. Mm -hmm. Right. So these numbers are already skewed off the bat. Right. Right. And there's multiple reasons why people or why women aren't eligible for an exam. Number, Number one. So when someone goes to get a rape kit done, let me go back over here. When someone goes to get a rape kit done, first of all, it takes hours to do it. People think that, especially men, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I will admit, I've had an oversimplified idea of what happens in a rape kit mm-hmm. when a rape kit is performed, mm-hmm. right? I'm thinking, okay, cool, we just pee in a cup. No, it's not that simple, mm-hmm. right? It takes hours for this to happen. You can't go to the bathroom because they need that sample. They need that urine sample, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't go to the bathroom. You got to hold it for hours, potentially. You can't shower. So all that, that that's really the first instinct that you want to do. You want to take a shower and wash that filthiness off. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes that disqualifies you and makes you, makes you ineligible to get a rape kit done. All right. And some people, although they mean well, encourage survivors to take a shower right after something happens like that. Oh, it's okay. It's going to be okay. I'll take a shower. No, you can't take that shower if you want a rape kit done. Mm-hmm. That'll make you ineligible. All right. Um. Yeah, so those are just some of the facts on top of that, mm-hmm. on top of why some people can't even be eligible to get a rape kit done. But of the 100% of people who are eligible, only 64% of those patients in sexual assault cases complete a sex kit, a rape kit, that is. Um, And then... So there's another part, right? So you go get the rape kit done, right? But you still have the authority to release that rape kit to the police. You don't have... It's not automatic. Just because you get a rape kit done doesn't mean it automatically goes to the police and then automatically goes to to investigation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen like that. You still have... That is still your evidence and you you still have the control to tell them not to use it or whatever the case may be. And sometimes people choose to not let not submit it to the police because of coercion, you know, out of fear that the perpetrator is still going to do do greater harm to them. Mm-hmm. And another thing is I never thought about it until I watched the documentary I Am Evidence mm-hmm. is one of the things they point out in this process of a of a crime scene is that they are a walking crime scene. They are the evidence. And if you ever, I mean, we have decades of crime shows now, right? And you see how people treat a crime scene. People just come and go and they're very callous about things, right? Imagine that to a living human being, you know, like like we've seen shows like where someone is dead and there's a dead body and people just sitting there drinking coffee or whatever, talking about a dead body or whatever and all kind of just casual kind of way. Same thing happens to rape survivors when they're having a, a rape kit performed on them. Mm. It's very casual. It's very routine. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, here's another one. And go in. Here's a swab, you know, and stuff like that. And go over here. 
do this, mm-hmm. turn this way, lift up this, la da da da, and this goes on. Traumatized, and I'm being treated like a routine, like an animal. Mm-hmm. Right, and we as Christians need to do better at understanding the trauma that goes on, so then we don't turn around and re-traumatize the victim right. and ask them silly questions like, "Where were you? What were you doing?" All right. So. Again, so fewer than 30% of those people who submit, who are eligible for a rape kit, fewer than 30% of them actually release the evidence to the police. Fewer than 30%. And I'm not a math guy, but if my math is correct, that's roughly 18% of survivors actually release their police. Or 18% of survivors who are eligible for a rape kit submitted to the police. Mm-hmm. So there's an un, like I said, there's an unknown number of people who are not even eligible for rape kit. Sixty four percent of those who are eligible actually take the rape kit. Of that sixty four percent, only thir- less than thirty percent actually submit it yep. to the police. Right. So we're gonna get into another another um, stat later about how many rape kits are out there. Right. Right. And so I'm just trying to paint the pi- it's I'm just trying to paint the picture of whatever we number we throw out, try to probably have to triple it mm-hmm. to get even close to accurate. Right? <laughs>